You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. The Archaeology Podcast Network is sponsored by Codify, a California benefit corporation. Visit Codify at www.codifi.com. Welcome to episode 17 of the Prehistories podcast with me, your host, Kim Bidolf. Um, thank you for joining me again. Um, on this episode, we're going to be talking about archaeological comics. We're going slightly off topic, really, um, not talking about prehistoric fiction set in prehistoric times, but about another way of writing and drawing the past, but also... Uh, archaeology itself. month's episode, I welcome three archaeologists who produce archaeological comics, uh, John Swagger, Hannah Sackett and Katie Whitaker. Um, you're welcome. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Hello. It's absolutely uh, brilliant to have you all on. I have followed um, your work for uh, some longer than others, but um, it's it's all absolutely fascinating. Um, you're all at a, a kind of a different stage in comic creating. Is that right? Yes, I think so, yeah. Yes, I'd agree. Yeah, uh, which is quite interesting, actually. So, um, Katie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and and, and how or what, you, what you've done with comics so far? So I've worked in archaeology for a number of years, um, mostly for big organisations. At the moment, I work for Historic England. I've been with them for a while. Mm-hmm. I've recently started a doctoral research project um, as well to throw into the mix. Ah, brilliant. And I do loads of different things like the Young Archaeologists Club cool. um, and Community Archaeology, which is all really fun. Yeah. But one of the things that I've done for many years also is, is drawn. I've just drawn for pleasure, really. Yeah. And every now and again, I've drawn something that you probably could call an archaeological comic yeah but i didn't really know that i didn't really know that was a thing i didn't know that existed <laughs> until i met hannah yeah. who had been drawing for a while and uh we did a really great young archaeologist club activity with hannah uh and that encouraged me to do a bit more of my own drawing and to think about using comics as a way of talking about archaeology so I'm really just at the very beginning of drawing and talking about archaeology in this in this way. Cool. Um, so, what's, where's your young archaeologist club? Uh, we're in North Wiltshire. We're based in Swindon, but we have children coming from quite a large catchment area, so South Gloucestershire, uh, West Berkshire, oh, wow. um, as well as Yorkshire. Yeah. <laughs> they do. Once you get kids who are really into archaeology, they will go for a long. Uh, you know they'll go, they'll do loads of things to get into it, won't they? And um, they <laughs> they're very dedicated. I uh, help run one in um, Aylesbury, so um, yes, yeah, so we've had kids there all the way through from eight years old to now young leaders, which is so lovely. And the th- yes, yeah. <laughs> the thing is, is that comics is such a um, 
it's it's a very widespread you know pop part of popular culture darling so um <laughs> so it makes sense to work with kids but obviously it's not just for kids is it i mean you get those things they call graphic novels um very slyly um which can be immensely complex and challenging actually um uh, and obviously um, that broadens the appeal for everybody. Anyway, um, sorry, <laughs> before we go into too much about the theory of it all, um, Hannah, um, you're, um, are you still studying for your PhD in using comics with, with kids? Is that... Yeah, yeah. I've just started um, in October. Oh, so, brilliant. Uh, yeah, I've got a way to go still. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm looking at the educational benefits of making comics for children. Fantastic. Um, sort of focusing on 7 to 11-year-olds. Um, so yeah, it's it's very interesting and uh, and uh, is that yeah that. is that mostly in a school context then? It will be yes. Um, there's been some work done on on making comics in after school clubs and out of school contexts. Mm. So I'm trying to persuade uh, teachers and schools that they're this is actually something that benefits children a whole range of ways. Mm. You know, in terms of their learning, but also. Um, in terms of, of well-being, in terms mm. of, of um, attitudes towards um, towards school, and and yeah. giving them space and time and freedom as well. So yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting aspects to it. Absolutely, and attitudes towards writing. Yes. I mean, really, writing is the um, holy grail of Key Stage Two, isn't it? So uh, if they can get kids writing anything, um, the the teachers should really be jumping on your offers. I think. Yeah, let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you've been um, writing. You've been making comics for a while, I know. I mean, um, I, my this this podcast has been going for just over a year, and I was worried that I was calling it the same as your blog, <laughs> prehistories. Um, although I pronounce mine prehistories, just to make it <laughs> to make it. That's you know. okay. It's different enough. <laughs> um, so, how how long have you been making comics for? Right. So um, that blog started I think it was about four years ago mm. now I've lost track um, and I've been making comics about that long um, that's drawing comics yeah. I've been writing comics for longer than that not originally about archaeology um, yeah. so the writing came first and then um, I was watching people like my friend Lucinda who I've worked with and John drawing comics and I thought well that looks fun yeah. Um, so I started doing the drawing as well. So um, yeah, oh, awesome. there's a, there's always so much to learn, and uh, um, it's a very enjoyable process. Yeah, because it's I mean you have to be um, multi talented really to be able to both write and draw. I know that I can only do one of those, and actually mostly I can just talk and not <laughs> not either of the other two. <laughs> um, so it's um, yeah, it it really is uh, a very challenging way to work i think john you've been you've been um making archaeological comics for quite a long time and i don't want that to sound like (laughs) (laughs) any kind of accusation or anything but tell us about what um your work um yes i I have been making archaeological (laughs) comics for a long time it's funny i I suppose when I when I first started, I didn't really keep track, and then all of a sudden you kind of turn around and look and think, "Blimey, I have actually been doing this for ten years mm-hmm. now." Um, in fact, more than that, twelve years. I I was um, 
I've been an archaeological illustrator for almost 25 years, wow. and I was out at, I was the um, science illustrator out at the Chapel Hill Project. Cool. And we had a, um, we, we were doing these open days for, for local village kids, mm. and, you know, the, the stuff that we had up in the visitor center and museums, the, visit, the visual stuff, just really wasn't working as a way to communicate what we were doing on site, and so we decided to try a comic, and that was back in 2005. Mm. So... It, it's been a while, um, and since then, um, well, when I did my first comic, I didn't, I didn't really think of it as any different from the illustrations that I was doing anyway. You know, it was just a way to solve a problem. Yeah. I needed to talk to this audience, and and so comics seemed the best yeah. way. And it wasn't. Well, I got to other excavation projects that I realized that there was actually something quite different about the way that comics worked. It's that it's that ability to bring in narrative. It's that ability to use all sorts of different kinds of visual elements yeah. and actually have them in a consistent package mm. um and that worked really well and, and I've, I've never looked back no i i saw your um uh, your comic that you did at Chattelhuyuk. I mean, um, everyone in archaeology will know what Chattelhuyuk is, um, a Neolithic site in Turkey, if anyone um, else who listens to the podcast wants to know, um, and a very, very, very well-studied site. Um, and it's uh, obviously that's the, the comic is in Turkish as well, isn't it? So it's mm-hmm. it, it's which makes a lot of sense seeing as you were trying to solve that problem of getting through to the local children. And, um, uh, that's, it's such a fantastic way to, um, engage them. Um, (laughs) but you've, I mean, one of the interesting things about, Oh, sorry. I was just going to say one of the interesting things about doing that comic first in Turkish is that it kind of made me realize that you don't have to write in your own language in order to make a, a good comic. So I've subsequently done comics in English and Spanish and in English and Welsh. And that, I think, is a real, you know, one, one of comics' real key um, abilities is to change languages according to the audience that you're speaking yes. to. Yes, yeah. And you, but you, so you've worked um, quite all over the world, really, in the Caribbean as well and um, uh, Turkey yes. and even Wales, amazingly. And Wales, yes. <laughs> yes, I have. And, and I've been, it's interesting that I've, I've done comics projects in all of those countries. And every time the particularities of working in that country kind of make me think of something else you can do with comics. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's there are particular kind of cultural niches, I think, that comics occupy in, in different places around oh, the world. Yeah. And, and archaeology, I think, could, you know, can do something to exploit those. Fantastic. Um, now, usually I, in the podcast, I do read an extract from a book, um, but that's not going to work today because you can't really read just the words from any of your comics. It has to be read and um, uh, looked at at the same time and examined um, because of the nature of comics where words and images are intertwined. So, um, listeners, you're going to have to find the comics and read along. Now, I will put... Um, links to uh the some of my guests work in the show notes that we're going to talk about today um so do take a look um but um for anyone who's listening via itunes or any or um uh spotify or whatever i don't know i don't know all that stuff (laughs) and don't have access to the show notes um could you all tell us what where people could find your work um katie what's the best place to find Um, the only piece of work that i have 
uh, online, so accessible around the world, is the most recent comic that I drew, which is called The Tale of the Toadstone. And you can find it on the Figures in the Landscape blog, which is a WordPress blog. Figures in the Landscape is a research group um, of PhD students who are all at different universities in the southwest of England. Uh, but they're funded, we're all funded by the same funding body. And we have we have a blog called Figures in the Landscape, and that's where I put the Tale of the Toadstone. Lovely. I'm looking at it now. So I w- do look that up. If you find Figures in the Landscape and then search for Tale of the Toadstone, you'll be able to find that. And tell us about this toadstone then. I mean, are there, there's, are there quite a few stones called toadstones. Uh, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, this was a bit of a surprise to me. So this, the story behind the story is that um, Christmas last year, so Christmas 2016, I thought I would spend a rainy afternoon drawing an archaeological comic. Uh, it was going to be just one side of A4, uh-huh. and I wanted to tell the story of a stone that is called the toadstone. And this is a really huge piece of rock. The type of stone is sarsen. Uh-huh. You find it in North Yorkshire, and that particular type of stone you find in other places in southern Britain. But this particular rock is called the toadstone because when you see it from the side, it looks like a toad sitting down on the uh-huh. ground. And the story of the stone is that it was left behind. So um, about four and a half thousand years ago, uh, it is thought. Uh, people tried to drag the toadstone off the hills down into the valley to what we now know as the village of Avebury. Mm. But the village wasn't there four and a half thousand years ago. Instead, there was a type of archaeological monument called Henge, and within the Henge, a huge stone circle. Um, And so the toadstone, it doesn't quite look natural in its current position. And so that's where this story came from, and that People tried to drag it, they tried to drag it down the hill and the ropes broke and the stone was abandoned and it never made its way into the stone circle. And I thought this would be really good for me to draw one afternoon Mm. um, the story of the stone. But I happened to mention that I was going to do this. I mentioned it on Twitter and some archaeologists and (laughs) geologists, friends of mine, then started to make some suggestions. Oh, blimey. And That's so helpful. Story, yeah, the story grew. <laughs> so the first thing, the first thing that happened was that uh, an archaeologist friend of mine called Matt Pope, who's at University College London, said, "Oh, do you mean the toadstone uh, outside Tunbridge Wells?" <laughs> and I said, "No, I didn't know there was a toadstone outside Tunbridge Wells." And he showed me a picture, and it's a very similar thing. It's a huge wow. rock that is in the shape of a toad. And then other suggestions came about different sorts of toadstones. So that made me think about my toadstone here in Wiltshire, lonely on the top of the hill, never made it down into Avery to the stone oh. circle, left left behind. Um, and and did, it, did the toadstone know about all these other sorts of stony toads or toads <laughs> in archaeological contexts? And I found out so much more about toads from all these suggestions that the story, instead of being one side of... A4 that I would draw in an afternoon became something quite a lot bigger that took me quite a few days to, to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic because also, I mean, obviously you had to go into quite a lot about geology as well as archaeology. Um, but it's a, um, a really lovely um, way to, to show how it's linked to so many different things. Um Yes, yes. And also through different through different ways. So there are toadstones that are called toadstones because they look like yeah. toads. Um, 
they actually look like the animal, like my toadstone here in Wiltshire. Um, there are there are types of stone that are associated with toads because of their colour or their texture. Yeah. Uh, there are stones. There are there are mythical, magical, witching sort of stories about toads. Um, one of the medieval stories, I think it goes right back to ancient Rome. I think it goes right back to Pliny. Is that toads, which are magical creatures, had a stone in their head. And if only you could get that stone out of the toad's head, it would protect you from poison, because toad's skin is supposed to be poisonous, and this was a remedy for poison. And then if you could have that stone and you could have it close to your skin, so, for example, you have it in a piece of jewellery, like yeah. a ring or, or a pendant, then that stone will protect you from poison. And there are toadstones. I, I remembered seeing them when I read about it. I then remembered seeing toadstones in the Cheapside Hoard when it was on display in the Museum of London. And I thought, yeah, I, I know. This incredible treasure, beautiful gold settings and gems and gemstones and fabulous enamel work. But there were also these funny little brown-grey stones that didn't look at all like precious gems or yeah. jewels. But because they had this special quality, they would protect you from illness and disease and from poison. They would be set in precious metals so all sorts of ways that toads are important to to people yeah now important to people in the past going right back to um to prehistory it seems yeah it seems so uh, it's interesting isn't it because all this stuff we lose and it's um when you start doing some research it's it's so exciting to find out all of these bits and pieces that maybe other people know but it's new to new to you and and it was new to yeah, me when right. i was reading your your comic so it's fantastic um uh, Hannah, where's the best place that people can actually have a look at your work? What's the best site? Because I know there's a few that it, your work appears on. Yeah, um, the site that I put um, most of my work up on is the Prehistories blog. So that's prehistories.wordpress.com. I yeah. think that's right. Um, and um, yeah, recently um, I did some work for Human Seasons um, blog, which ran through the year. Um, there was a different archaeologist um, or artist mm. uh, blogging every day, and um, I did a series of comics for that. Um, and I do have a Tumblr, but I haven't been using that so much, and um, stuff goes up on Twitter as well. Lovely. So they can follow you um, on Twitter. Yeah, what's your what's your Twitter handle, if people... Um, for the archaeology, it's um, Dr. H Comics. Dr. H Comics. Um, obviously, this this is all going to be on the show notes, everybody. <laughs> um, I mean, I quite like your archaeological oddities in particular, which is you can get to those through the Prehistories uh, um, uh, website. Um, and the, the, you kind of focus on particular um, either finds or places, um, uh don't you and uh, there's there's so many quite famous ones that you've looked at i really really love the mold gold cape i think that that really mm -hmm. stuck in my in my mind do you want to tell us about that um yeah so that was the first comics that i started drawing oh, myself really? um i started off with the folks and drums that's the first comic that i drew oh, i've just <laughs> um, made my own folks and, and drum today for something else i've been doing here yes, oh, oddly <laughs> What have you made yours? Uh, Air-dried um, clay. So j just made a lump of clay and then I was... Um, because these Folkton drums... Uh, do you want to tell us about them? <laughs> okay, um, they're chalk... They're not drums no. at all. They're little chalk 
uh, carvings. They are middle, probably middle Neolithic. There were three of them from a grave um, up in Yorkshire. Child's and grave. Probably a- place of the child's yeah. burial. Yeah. So um, various ideas, possibly that they're protective mm-hmm. objects. Um, and they are incredibly unusual because there aren't many objects from the Neolithic with faces. Yes, um, on it seems them. like there's and, there's almost um, a kind of taboo on on uh, showing mm. figurative representative art, isn't it? it so you can just yeah, see yeah. the eyebrows and beards and stuff. <laughs> yeah, the eyes. Yeah, <laughs> so um, they're quite intriguing objects, and um, uh, yeah. Um, so um, Andy Jones, my partner Andy Jones, who works at Southampton, he was uh, doing research onto them and um, has been looking at Neolithic art. And um, he was very caught up with these objects and I got quite obsessed with them as well because there's just something fascinating about them. So they prompted me to tell their story from their point of view. Um, so that's what I do with the archaeological oddities um, is... Um, the idea of, of have the object narrate mm. the story um, mm. rather than tell the story from a sort of academic kind of or, or sort of outside perspective. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's a lot of fun thinking your way into how the different objects um, might tell their stories. And the mold cape you mentioned that, I really enjoyed doing that. It's such a beautiful mm. object. And I think that... But people always, you know, things are presented a gold object and say, ooh, gold, ooh, wealth, tears, money. But, you know, when you look at how people in other cultures perceive gold, like, say, for example, in Mesoamerica, like, gold has special properties. It's not just that it's worth money, it's it's powerful, it's special. You know, there's all sorts of ways that gold might have been seen in the past. So I wanted to get that across in the comic was was to try and get people to... To, to see it in a, in a different, yes, in a different because way. we are just obsessed with gold as treasure in our in our culture. Um, lovely. Um, I'm gonna. Uh, we might bring come back to the mole gold cape a little bit later. Now, um, we've just got to take a quick break, and then when we come back, I'll talk to John about um, where we can find his work, and um, then we're gonna talk a bit more about the nature of comics and why why use them um, for ourselves as archaeologists and also. Um, to talk to the wider world so listen to these messages and we're back in a minute would you like to get more involved with archaeology are you looking for volunteer or internship opportunities are you already working on community or personal archiving projects and could use some helpful hints check out the ideas portal sponsored by codify visit ideas.codify.com a free and open community tool and share your ideas, knowledge, and advice on select topics that will lead to vibrant opportunities and initiatives for all aspects of archaeology, from fieldwork to public service. All ideas are welcome, so visit ideas.codify.com today and make your voice heard. That's ideas.codifi.com. Hello, and we're back. Um, talking about archaeological comics, which is a fascinating subject. Um, John, if anybody wanted to have a quick look at your work whilst they're listening to the podcast, where can they find you? Uh, they can find it on my blog, uh, johngswogger.wordpress.com. Um, the comics are there, and also a lot of commentary about them um, 
as well as things like conference papers I've given and conference posters as well. So there's actually a fair amount of material there about archaeological conference, or at least my Yes, absolutely. And you've actually given, I mean, some of your papers are comics, aren't they? I, I'm just looking yes. at yes. Ceramics, Polity and Comics, um, which is written mm -hmm. as a comic. And I, I love that. Mm -hmm. I think that's... Uh, I mean, why write a, a paper, you know, with, you know, maybe 4,000 words or whatever with references and, and no images in it at all, arguing for how great it is to use comics, um, <laughs> when you can write a comic about it? Yes, it, indeed. And, you know, as is traditional in these talk things, um, I'm going to plug my book. Um, so I've actually got a book coming out Ooh. next year, which is about comics and archaeology, and it's as a comic. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to sit there and talk about how wonderful comics are when you can actually show how wonderful yeah. comics are uh, so much better. Yeah. Um, and the first time I did that really was with that paper in Advances in Archaeological Practice, which was a, a real opportunity to show not just uh, members of the public and people uh, who weren't archaeologists what comics could do for them, but actually to show archaeologists uh, that they were kind of missing out. Um, by not, not having a look at this medium and seeing what it could do in their own particular instance. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if we th if think about what it is that, that comics can actually do then, because um, there are... Uh, there are a couple of things that I've just noticed from your work, and I'm sure you've you you'll be able to um, point us in the direction of other examples. So, Katie, going back to the toadstone, the um, th what's I, my favourite bit, and I'm going up and down really quickly on my screen to see the toadstone finally move and to see the toad crawl yes. away. And that's it's absolutely yeah. lovely. You give everybody a tip at the bottom, don't you, to say do <laughs> move the <laughs> uh, move the cursor up and down so that you can um, see the toad move. So you can actually create that kind of um, almost like movie like um, quality, uh, stop motion animation quality, can't you? Yeah, I when I decided that the comic was going to be bigger than just one side of A4, and I was trying to think how I would present that, how, how I'm actually going to construct mm. it, what, phys physically what will, what will the structure be? And I could have chosen lots of different things. It could have been a number of pages of A4 or A5 or something like that, um, or poster size or whatever. But one of the things that I, I wanted to happen at the end of the story, whatever was going to be in the story in the end, at, at the end of it, I wanted the toadstone to be able to get up and walk mm. away uh, whether whether that was because the toadstone was joining the stones that had gone down into the valley to be part of the stone circle or to wander off to see all of the members of the toadstone's family that are around mm -hmm. the world, um, depending on where, where the rocks are. I wanted the, the toadstone to move. So then I thought, I know what I can do. I can make it like it's a flick book. Because we used to do that when we were kids yeah. at school. It was the best could buy these little rectangular books of plain paper that were just the right size to hold in your hands and you we did our own drawings so in the flick book so that then when you flick the pages you got this animation i thought yes i'll do that the trouble was the trouble was that i ended up with so much going into the story that what was physically going to be stitched together as a little rectangular mm. book ended up being far too many pages for me to be able to actually make it into a book. I just not I'm just not skilled enough. If it if it had been twenty or or thirty 
of the little rectangular pages I could have done it, but I ended up having seventy wow. pages. So, so it, it was a, it was a good idea that I couldn't quite pull <sighs> off. But that meant that when I had scanned those images, scanned those pages, and put them online, at least with with a cursor on your mouse <laughs> uh, on the screen, you, you can make the toad kind of kind of move if you if you move the image on the screen quick quickly enough, just scrolling yeah. up and down. So, but I, it, it, for me, it really I really had wanted to make a thing that was physically mm. comic, if you sort of mean, as well as in terms of drawing style and in terms of the the medium. Um, and, and I really, I really like that idea. One of the brilliant, most brilliant things that my first introduction really to um, to conference posters that were that were actually engaging, as opposed to just the most tedious things on a screen at a conference that you usually see. But my my introduction to a really good conference poster was Alison Atkins' Plague poster, which she did a mm. few years ago. They even had moving parts, so people at the conference looking at her poster could open little little flaps and pull little things and make parts of the poster move. And I did a similar thing, a much smaller version, for the 2015 Experimental Archaeology Conference, uh, which was held in Dublin. I made a poster that had moving parts inspired by Alison's Plague poster. And I, I kind of wanted, well, I Kind of, I wanted to do a similar thing with with the toadstone story to actually make it into a, a book and to make it make it move so so that it also had a a, a sort of a, a, a feeling. It was something yeah. in your hands because I can't in 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 the story. I can't take people. I can't physically take the reader who could be anywhere in the world. I can't take them out onto the the downs onto the Marlborough Downs. And I can't take them to actually touch the stone and feel what the surface of the stone is like and have all those other sensory experiences. But I thought maybe I can bring a bit of movement and feeling to this somehow. So so the, the comic at home, here at home, there is only one copy uh-huh. of it from the electronic copy. But that copy is a, is a physical thing. It's got its own box that I made for it. Um, and you can, you can flip the last section yeah. of it and watch the toad move cool <laughs> well it, yeah the, the trick will be trying to find some way to to publish it that it will work like that <laughs> yes that is a that's a yeah. good question <laughs> and um and hannah um you're the, going back to the mole gold cape <laughs> for uh, for one thing but i'm sure you can you can uh, bring our attention to other things it was as well as the the main um comic that you did uh, where the the cape speaks for itself which is lovely um but you also did a make your own cape didn't you <laughs> where you can cu- cut it out yes, it and yeah. glue it together and create your own yeah <laughs> Yeah, I made a few. I made a few. Um, make your own. I made a, um, a Paleolithic thaumatrope. You oh, get these um, yes. Paleolithic beautiful um, uh, ones, which I've seen in the Museum of France, and they had at the Ice Age Art Exhibition. Yeah. And um, yeah, so you, they're, they're those discs where you uh-huh. flip them, and the two things like you usually have a bird on one side and a cage on the other, and they'll they'll join the images join together mm. as you flip them. Um, and uh, there are examples of those from the Paleolithic. I think they're amazing. Um, yeah, I made a mold cape and I made a Kigali, um uh, little boat, little jet uh, boat um, that you could make as well. I haven't made any for a while, but um, they were a lot of fun. I think, John, John, you've designed some make-your-own um, things for your Welsh comics as well, didn't you? 
Yes, we, we ended up losing them. We had more simpler games in the middle, but I did a, a, a cut and fold cardboard model of the, this one of the shield bosses and shield. Uh, yeah, my my dad used to buy me those cutout models you could get from the British yeah. Museum whenever he went to London. Oh, those were great. They took ages to make, but they were fantastic. And it's great, especially when they're so intricate and they've um, and very and really accurate. Um, mm-hmm. And you've got your own little thing. And I, tr- I mean. Um, so uh, the comics can kind of do so many different things, um, and that's it. we've we haven't even talked about the actual you know matching words and image. Um, <laughs> well, John, I have I I am in a little book club in my village, and one of the uh, books that were well, one of the ladies in the club was re- uh, really into graphic novels, and she wanted us to read um, a graphic novel. Uh, we read um, Watchmen. And it was the first one I'd ever read. And my brother lent it to me and he said, oh, yeah, you'll read it in an hour. And it's huge for one thing, but it's I found it took me a long time to get used to reading and looking and matching those together. Um, But when I did, it was obviously quite a a very um, powerful thing. But what would you say to people who are um, maybe... A little bit worried about how that how those comics can actually work and are they going to be able to um kind of get into it mm-hmm. and I, I think you're absolutely right i think reading a, a long-form comic work like the graphic novel is something of an acquired uh-huh. skill only because we, we are I, I, we're all much used to seeing comics in shorter yeah. form and um, in around the newspapers, a single panel thing or short panel thing for just several over a century. Um, and I still think people used to reading them in that short format. But it's a little bit like getting used to reading some kind of Pride and Prejudice or Peace or, you know, one of, one of those big books where you feel like you need to pay yeah. attention to it. You're not just kind of sitting. That's it. I think it is. So it's, there is it's a- that if you're used to reading just a, a normal novel, it's the paying attention. That's the thing. Yeah. But it's very rewarding. I, I think sometimes, uh, yes, and I, and I think sometimes too, people who read a lot of comics, particularly if they read, you know, the Superman comic every month, that kind of thing, I think they get very used to reading them very quickly because they're they're they have a way of absorbing the story and the artwork because they they want a very particular set of yeah. things out of it. But if you're going to read something complicated like. Um, like Posey Simmons' Gemma Bovely, for example, or Tamara Drew, where there's a lot going on on any given page, you can actually read that story five or read that book five or six different times and get something different out of it every time because your eye is going to go across the page in a different way every time you read the story. Um, And I think that's that's one of the things, again, comics like Hannah's exploits because they're not just straightforward, this happens and that, and then the next no. thing happens. They're much more kind of exploring your way through this page, where text and image play off each other in different ways. And I, I think that's just, um, I don't think we I think we've only just scratched the surface of that in archaeology. I think there's a lot more. more that yes, absolutely, because, I mean, the, the opportunity to to make jarring um, contrasts between pages or between images next to each other or links through as well to you're moving to a different part of the story but there's the visual link um, that helps you kind of jump to that bit and see the links it's um, what I found 
really quite you know amazing and the amount of work that has to go into creating and um all of these images with people you know taking part in a story um over many <laughs> many um little uh windows or i don't know yeah the panels thank you it's just um it's it's staggering really Again, I think you build up a bit of a workflow too. I, when I did that first comic in Turkey, it took me ages yeah. to do, and and I really didn't know what I was doing at all. And the, the prospect of having to draw the same face more than <laughs> once is just yeah. Anyway, um, but now I think I I do it because I've been doing so many of them. It, it comes kind of second nature, and you find yourself actually thinking in terms of comic artwork. You don't think of right, I've got to, you know, I've got to draw this, and I've got to draw that in this panel, and then I've got to draw it again. You can think of ways to do the drawing almost across several pages, uh, across multiple panels, across multiple pages. Um, it's not, you do, you do end up in a different kind of mindset than just doing a static straight Yeah, I bet. I mean, um, so you started out as an archaeological illustrator, um, and that is, it, it is a very strict and kind of controlled way of doing things isn't it? it it is yes i mean it's it's technical illustration so there are rules for the way that you show an object uh, show a piece of pottery for example or a piece of bone and those rules work for archaeologists because they show them the kind of information that they need to see and you can use t uh, tricks like cutaways and half sections and that kind of thing to to expand that information, but it really only means something to archaeologists. Mm. But I think the same thing is true of comics. You know, there's a way of producing a comic which can tell your audience a lot more, um, and it's learning those tricks and techniques uh, that makes comics. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Well, uh, we're just going to take another break, and then when we come back, um, I'm going to ask my guests, can archaeological comics replace archaeological reports and illustrations the crm archaeology podcast brings together a panel of cultural resource management professionals to discuss the issues that really matter to the profession find out about networking strategies job hunting graduate programs and much more we'll often feature interviews with college professors crm business owners and experts as well check out the show on itunes stitcher radio and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash crm arc podcast let's get back to the show Hello, and we're back um, talking to John Swagger, Hannah Sackett, and Katie Whitaker. Hello again, everyone. You're still with me? Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're still there. So I wanted to kind of, I've, I've really controlled the conversation up till now, but I want to kind of throw it open to you discussing um, with me what, where do you see archaeological comics going? For you personally, but also in the profession, um, and maybe can we get, I, I, is there a way to get this um, much more widely promoted to the public? So what do you think? Anyone? <laughs> <laughs> it's a big mm. question. 
I mean, that, that really is that really is a, a huge question. But I think it's one of those questions that, as more people start doing more archaeological comics, I think the answer will kind of emerge out of that work. Um, it's really interesting that when I first started doing my comics 10 years ago, everybody just looked at me when I said archaeological comics. So, and you know, now I'm sitting doing a podcast with two people who are doing PhDs yeah. on the subject. I mean, I, I think shows you part of the direction that comics has been taken, not by me, but by other people. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's best, you know, it's going to be really useful to get more and more people doing comics, thinking about them, writing about them, figuring out the things that they can do for their particular areas of expertise, and then deciding what comics can go on to yeah. do from there. I mean, I'm I'm doing comics now. With, I mean, I can see the trajectory from my work in Chappapir, the work that I'm doing in the United States, but that's one direction. That's one person working on one set of projects. So, yeah, I mean, the more people, the more ideas. Where, where are you? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, sorry, I was just going to say that um, I agree. I think that, that comics will be as diverse as the people who yeah. make them. Um, I think it's not one direction. And if you look at the range of comics outside archaeology mm. at the minute, that's getting wider mm. and wider. So it can go from informational comics to comics that are fine art um, to comics that are very um, sort of mainstream um, aimed at different audiences. And I think that that will be the same in archaeology. I think um, John and I ran a, work, ran a mm. workshop at TAG at South um, uh, last year and loads of people came along and they are working on their comics you know people have got back to us and sent us their comics and they're they're really enthused about it and they're all going to take it in their own direction it's going to be really exciting yeah. to see what oh, comes that's, out. that's brilliant Hannah um do the um uh do you think that that comics make it easier to is it is it really made for social media are they made for social media? Do they? Does it work better there? Hannah? <laughs> um, I would say it works well on social media and um, it does grab people's attention and I think that's one reason that people use it. I'm very in favour of also making mm. print comics. So mm. um, I, I print my comics and, and sell them and also, I think for for things like notice boards um, and displays at sites um, and in museums, I think um, comics mm. are invaluable for getting across a lot of information for people that might not want to stand there and read a block. Yeah, of I never. And I think John, have you, have you done notice boards? John, have you done any notice boards for anyone as comics? Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, the links between. Um, notices and comics and posters are, are very, very strong. And in fact, in, in the Caribbean, I didn't print and distribute my comics as comic books. I distributed them as posters, which went up on in local businesses and so on. And that's it, it's a way of, of going into spaces where comics don't mm. always and go. And where archaeology um, doesn't always go. <laughs> this, yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, people were asking for them not... I think if they'd been asking them and I'd been producing them as comic books, they would have sat on a table somewhere. But because they put them up on the wall, they could easily show anybody who came into a hotel reception or anybody who came into a local shop um, 
what it was that was going on. You don't, you know, you don't have to sit there and do anything. <laughs> the images just sort yeah. of fall in on you, um, and that's very different to the way in which we usually do our our engagement with other archaeologists, let alone yeah. the I think that's really interesting, actually, because the, to me that that has links with um, with traditions in graphic art that you see in the kind of posters, the posters that work best and are most effective for things like um, the British Transport yeah. Network. You know, the posters of the glory yeah, of the yeah, British yeah. Railway Network. And when you think back to those, when you think back to the way that information is displayed in in um, train stations and on the London underground the things that work best are those images that you can just see immediately you just it, when you're in a tube train looking at the depiction of the line with its stations up above the windows and you can work out really quickly where you are and how many stops you still to go and so why well, I think it's very um, a part of that family perhaps of that bigger family and why yeah. wouldn't they work of course they would work to communicate what, what can be really quite complicated pieces yeah. of, of information. I think, I think there's also something with the physical form of comics. I mean, it's really interesting that you chose to do the code stone as a, as a physical object. I mean, kind of in an edition of one. Yeah. But, but I think there is something in the, in the abstract nature of archaeological information, which I think almost needs to be countered by tying it down to a physical object. I think that's why we like archaeological books and journals, you know, they give us something concrete to hang on to when we're sitting there talking about very, very esoteric stuff. So I'm looking forward to your book, John, on um, archaeological comics as a comic. Do you think that, that oh, maybe the next um, next book by Barry Cunliffe should be a comic? Or, oh, no, no, better, Ian Hodder. <laughs> that would be great. And then maybe then I could understand archaeological <laughs> theory. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I, I think the part of the article that I did for Advances in Archaeological Practice was taking a, an article from American Antiquity on pottery decoration and pointing out mm. how visual it was and yet how unvisual yes. the article was. And it's a shame. I mean, I, I like articles on pottery decoration because I'm an illustrator, but most people, I think, would have flipped across that article to something with more yeah. pictures in it. Um, because it just didn't immediately grab them. And yet, when you're talking about pottery decoration, you want to be able to show the, the decoration and the parts yeah. and, and the ty typology. It doesn't make any sense and, otherwise, does it, it, really? To, talk, to just write about it. it didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I, and um, uh, I was filming your your um, paper, wasn't I? So um, for open access archaeology. So that will be um, shared on YouTube eventually. It does take a while for Doug Rocks McQueen to um, edit all of these um, videos. So, But when that's up and running, I will make sure that there is a link to that um, in the show notes. Um, so... Katie, where is are you? Are you doing more comics? Are you hooked now? Yeah, I'm. So, so as I mentioned before, my my comic about the toadstone is the only one that I've really sort of found a way of, of mm. sharing via the magic <laughs> of the internet with with anybody other than just myself. All the other comics that I've that I've drawn previously have been on paper and are just as John says, in an edition of one. It's just something that I have 
for my own sort of interest or entertainment, really. Um, my the, the next comic that I want to draw will be a conference poster. So the only problem with with that is is time. Have I got enough time to do it given the deadline to to get mm. to, to get it in? Uh, but I've done some preliminary sketches. Um, so that if if I do if I do run with that and if it goes ahead, it will be uh, a conference at the University of Reading for Reading's postgraduate students. Um, but I'll, I'll have to find a way to, to make that uh, more widely available beyond the audience in the room at that conference in, cool. in June. Uh, I, but it's it's one of those things. I, I some, Sometimes when you read about something, doing, doing a bit of research, the way it works for me is that I think, yes, I, I'm going to write about this. This is going to be part of a paper or a chapter or something that I'm going to be doing. But actually, my immediate response is that this would work so much better if I if yeah. I grew it, if I could tell the story of this particular little interesting thing that I've discovered. And that's that's why I've decided I want to, to do this conference poster on, on a particular story of some sarsen stones that are very strangely in oh. reading uh, why they're in reading was that was the that was the question reading does not normally have this this type of rock it's not part of its normal geology so why are oh. these rocks uh, that my research is concerned with in reading and it turns out that they used to be in wiltshire and they were taken in the very early 19th century to form part of an amazing oh, landscape God. garden um, so it's it, it, beca- because because i've been thinking about this this piece of history and this piece of this piece of research in in pictures. So looking at nineteenth uh, century engravings of the park as it once was before it became, uh, in effect, uh-huh. derelict. And because I've been doing my own, uh, taking my own photographs and then doing my own uh, sketches, it, it occurred to me that this this is something that ought to be that ought to be drawn and the characters involved in making this thing happen uh, 200 or or so years ago in in designing the landscape and in moving the stones and the stones themselves, they could tell their own story very much in the way that um, Hannah uh, gets objects to tell Mm. their own story um, and that that would work work best. Um, But for for me, it's, um, I, I love drawing, but I don't do enough of it. And so it takes me longer to get to the finished article by the time I've done a couple of sketches or a couple of revisions and you know I'm just not practiced enough my my uh my skills my motor skills and my my design skills are are still very young yeah like well <laughs> the, you, it takes a lot of practice and um my problem is um, that I, it'll never be there with me at all I just don't have that eye do you ever get anybody do you ever get any negative feedback about the using comics at all in um in any part of your work or no, or is everybody quite open um, to the idea? Oh, and I think interestingly, I, I had some, I had some, some critical comments um, from the reviewers when I was doing my yeah. paper, but they were more along the lines of, "This is unexpected, and I'm not sure how your audience is going to react," rather than, "I think if this is a bad idea." So I think there's a, a general yeah. timidity in academic circles in using to using comics. Um, but I don't think generally that's that's borne out. Certainly not in my experience. 
Um, I know that in medicine, I, I, I do some comics for in, with ah. medical subjects, and the Annals of Internal Medicine have been very, very good as a journal in using comics, not for whole articles, but just introduce stuff that wouldn't otherwise uh, work mm. very well in text. So articles about ethics, for example, the, they'll use a comic to tell the story of the situation that sort of prompted the actual question. That's a, um, yeah, that's, that's a really good idea for archaeological ethics as well, isn't it? Because it is a very difficult thing to write about. You know, it is. It's it's kind of confusing unless yeah. you can give some context, and and that's things that visual. one of the yeah exactly one of the things that you can do is draw real draw um, real people in a comic style um or draw general generic comic people and um it's so it's so flexible in that way isn't it that you can uh, put in quotes but actually show who's saying them and it makes it more understandable that this is just a person and it's not it you know even if you are quoting someone like Foucault or Heidegger or you know that uh, that does get quoted a lot in um academic circles um they, they were just a person and they're not necessarily right I think that in a way that that yes. if you could see them in the comic, I think that's that actually it really does um, humanise that area. Anyway, I just mm -hmm. wanted to point that out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I agree, and I think one of the things that it also does is it kind of asks archaeologists if they're willing to take responsibility for something mm. they say. Mm. You know, it's one it's one thing to footnote somebody. That's not really it's not really right in your face that this is yeah. what Ian Hobbit said or this is what Barry Cumber said thanks. But if there's a picture of Barry Cumber saying, I think this then it's much it's very, very clear that this is his idea and, yeah. and his I don't know. And, so I am not right. sure why I picked on them particularly. I I apologize. <laughs> no. <laughs> I just was thinking of the great and the good in 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 scare quotes. Um, <laughs> um, what about uh, Hannah and and Katie? Have you ever had any negative feedback at all about uh, using comic the comic style? Um, I don't think so. I think I I think some people. I think well, the great thing about comics is for some people they're immediate and they draw you in and they make you want to read it. Other people may look at a comic and just not be interested at all so um that people may pass it by or just think that's that's not something for me but i've i've never had anyone sort of be angry at me <laughs> that i've made something as a that's comic good. Good. but um, i haven't i haven't done what john's done and tried to yet put it um sort of into an academic yeah context um which is something i may be trying your, in the future yeah will your, you, will your phd uh, thesis like, be in comic uh, form well, I don't. There may be an aspect of it which is, and that's still cool. being resolved. There are now a few PhDs um, which are in in fully in or, or partially Brilliant. in comic form. Mm. So it has been done now, um, and um, I suspect it may be on the increase. Um, so yeah, I I think it's becoming definitely, and I think that, as John mentioned, the graphic medicine. Um, you know, huge um, changes have happened in that area and they're really used in comics in all sorts of ways. So I think that's kind of pushing forward mm. for the other disciplines that if it can be used in something as serious as medicine, then I think all of us can can get yeah, behind it, yeah. really. So I think it's spreading to a lot of disciplines and I think it, it will become more acceptable. And I'm, 
Yeah, recently there was a thing in the news at Sheffield, um, Hallam psychologist did research looking at um, comics um, as textbooks, and they did a psychology experiment looking at comics, text, and text with unrelated images, um, which um, communicated best to students the information, and the comics won by a long mark. So they should all yeah you, can you um send me a link to that and i'll put that in the show notes as well i will have the reference yeah, for so. that piece because that's fantastic <laughs> um that's 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 really interesting um i the the little bit that i've the little bit of drawing i've done so far where i've actually shared it with with other people um has been it's been very well received by those by those people but then they are people that i'm working mm. with my my supervisors or or my peers and at the moment i feel like that's um at, at worst tolerated and at best <laughs> encouraged and and they're enth- enthusiastic about it and and um uh, are happy but it's it's just one of the things that i do and i'm quite enthusiastic about i haven't yet tested the waters any any further than that and um i'm really hoping that i don't come up across um uh, objection i mean i might come across sort of indifference and i can certainly imagine that some people would think it was perhaps a bit a bit sort of um i don't know not 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 too mm. not serious enough or something but that's certainly not not the way that i look at it and and i think at the end of the day you know i i every every month i do a load of activities with a bunch of enthusiastic kids aged sort of eight nine years old all the way through to 17 through the young archaeologist club and i just think about all the things that we do together and the things that matter most to those kids and their interest in archaeology and uh if if communicating or, or telling stories about archaeology can be done in in any way in any way that people enjoy and respond to then that's got to be the ultimate mm. the ultimate test yeah absolutely mm-hmm. and i th- um i try on this podcast to celebrate that and i think that uh, fiction and um comics and poetry are all really fantastic ways to engage people outside archaeology but also i think that we need them ourselves because we're people too (laughs) and you know as archaeologists (laughs) you know um it does help us think about things in different ways um so thank you ever so much i just wanted to ask one last thing before we go because we're coming to the end of the podcast of this episode um uh, i'm hoping in a future episode to talk about mesolith um and there is a mesolith too now have i any of you read this mm-hmm. have you read this um it is a comic a graphic novel not so. yeah yeah it's gone yeah no, I haven't read the second one yet. I really must get hold of it. So maybe I could talk to to you about that at some later point. Um, one, one or all, two or three of you, all three of you, um, as well, because it would be really nice to hear your views on it. But very quickly, do you, um, what do you think about it? <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. It's 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 amazing. <laughs> It's the kind of thing. It's the kind of thing that I think you, you feel a bit overwhelmed by the quality of it a little bit, and it, I almost wonder whether it stops people thinking about doing an archaeological comic themselves because they look at that and say, "Well, I, I couldn't do that, so uh, 
I can't do an It is a particular comic. style, though, isn't um, it? And it is that kind of graphic novel style rather than a... Um, and, and, yeah, but you're right, though, that, that it, there are lots of different ways to do comics. So um, hopefully nobody will be put off, mm. but just encouraged. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's... So I was just going to say that um, I think for people that aren't archaeologists, I think it, it, it would be a real pull to people to become interested. You know, they've they've really researched um, the archaeology, their specific examples yes. of archaeology in there. And um, I, I think that um, it would probably draw people who weren't interested in archaeology before to be interested in it because it's going to appeal to people who read, yeah. you know, um, different sorts of, of, of comic books. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's brilliant and I'm really looking forward to reading the second yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Well, I'm hoping to talk about that in a future episode. So um, I may be talking to you about appearing on that. <laughs> um, and I also have um, some specific Mesolithic archaeologists I'm going to be talking to as well, hopefully. Um so all I have to say is thank you so much, everybody, for um, for talking to me today, and it's um, it's been fantastic. I think that we, you know, we've explored how comics are not can be brilliant for engaging um, new kind of audiences to archaeology, um, but also um, there is much more potential for them to be used as a tool for uh, for each other in the discipline. So. Um, yeah <laughs> thank you ever so much um i will make sure that all your contact details are available in the show notes um so the, the your twitter handle hannah is dr h comics katie is is it all right to share your twitter yeah. handle on on the show notes Yes, you can find me on Twitter as uh, artifactual underscore kw and are you on um are you on twitter john um, I am. I'm not on very often. I'm much more easily found on my blog. So and we already know your blog, johndswagger.wordpress.com. That's the one, isn't it? So lovely. Yeah. Thank you ever so much. And um, I will uh, be in touch with you. And hopefully everyone has enjoyed this podcast and um, will look out for my next one, which hopefully will be about Mesolith or it may be a film special. I'm not entirely sure yet. All right. But tune in to hear that next Prehistories podcast. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and edited by Chris Sims. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.